Contra is Contra is nuanced. Contra, Contra is, is transgressive. Good trouble. Contra, Contra is, is collaborative. Contra is a podcast. Is a space for thinking about design critically. Contra is subversive. Contra is texture. You are listening to Solidarity Chats, a special section of the Contra podcast on disability, design justice, and the life world. These episodes, recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, focus on disability, eugenics, and mutual aid. We're hoping to capture some of the conversations that disabled people and our allies are having about issues such as healthcare infrastructure, medical triage, eugenics, and technology as it is unevenly distributed across the population. These episodes are also going to come out at a different rate than the regular Contra episodes. So please make sure to subscribe on Google, Apple, or Stitcher so that you don't miss any. This is Amy Hamrai, and I'm here with Suleiman Khan, who is an independent consultant, speaker, and writer, and founder-in-chief of the disability consultancy, This Ability. Welcome, Suleiman. Suleiman, what's your take on coronavirus and disability? The virus itself is not scary. It's the ableism and people's attitudes that is even worse because here in the UK, what's happened in the past week is that they've passed legislation or coronavirus legislation. And with that, they also made it easier to not help disabled people, basically. And so they loosen up the care regulations and basically there's a whole, whole heap of guidelines with the NHS that basically, you know, disabled people are the ones that are most likely going to die and it gives the NHS the right to decide that, which is just absurd. And this things like, you know, people may not be allowed ventilators if they're disabled, things like that. So quite rightfully, so there's quite a lot of concern amongst the disabled community in the UK. I know in North America and in America as well there's a lot of uh, issues around how people are being treated and as well. And I think also just the fact that most people for the first time in their lives they're just in a slight glimpse of what it's like to be disabled in this environment. And they say, oh yeah, we understand now that you have no no clue. And in the UK there's a conversation which is quite funny. Last week, people say, oh, you can't live on £94 a week. Well, yeah, well you, in the UK specifically, we've been forced to live on less than that, you know, for for ages, and they're not allowed to save money because then they take that away for our care packages and things like that, and that's been challenging. So it's been quite a emotional roller coaster. but I think what's really helped is that the disabled community People, amazing people like yourself and other the disabled community worldwide, it's a really incredible supportive community. So that's really helped to have people to talk to and to, to engage with to social media and things. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just want to highlight a few of the things that you pointed out that I think are 
not as obvious to non-disabled people that even though in this case all of these people are becoming disabled um, in certain ways, um, ableism is persistent. There is still the devaluation of disabled people through these um, kind of things where medical systems get to decide who survives and who gets care. Um, and then also that disabled people really have been providing support for each other for a really long time. And we know how to do that because we do that all along. And so our um, preparedness in this moment, at least in terms of, um, you know, community and care is very different than what a lot of non-disabled people are um, facing. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, do you want to say oh, more about that? Absolutely. I think that's, yeah. Hit the nail on the head that disabled people, we're very resilient. We know how to build communities. We know how to look after each other. Disabled people are really good at, like, community and building resilience. And even that is the case, even in this whole uh, pandemic crisis around the world, non-disabled people are still not including us in the conversation. And I guess the idea to do this is uh, how to build a resilient workplace, how to do this in all these online live stream conferences and like remote working. And even though well, disabled people, as many people have said much better than I will, that, you know, we've asked for that. We were like, no, you can't do that, you can't do that. And now everything is possible. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, I think it is a huge change in how we value ourselves and how we value disabled people. Because disability is like the world's largest minority. It's a diverse, incredible global family, yet the way we're treated on a day-to-day basis. And even also in this whole crisis, I think, it sort of reflects quite badly on society. Yeah, absolutely. So if society were to listen to disabled people and to learn from our resilience and our strategies, what specific things do you think would be um, transferred in that? Or what would people start doing differently? They would have a dark sense of humor to start with. <laughs> that would do this chill out like I think the world is so stressed as it is and so intolerant and so hateful I think that would be the the first thing and I think but again I do I can't speak for all disabled people I think you know just that anybody disabled people can be complete assholes as well I don't think because you're disabled we're there to inspire the whole world I don't think that's the case I do think that the world has a lot to learn in terms of our resilience in terms of our creativity, in terms of even how we're able just to be really good problem solvers. And, you know, a lot of disabled history, you know, that the society is benefiting from is not known even amongst the disabled community because we're kind of pushed to the side and not allowed to even have our own narrative. So I think that would be a huge benefit to the world and to society just to include us and listen to us and, you know, just engage with us as people rather than objects of, you know, inspiration or objects to just be put on the cupboard or just to be looked at and say, no, I don't have time for that narrative anymore because my own experience with disability is kind of a up and down story. So I will have a 
condition called muscular dystrophy, which is a progressive muscle wasting condition. So as I get older, my muscles get weaker. And for the first 10 years of my life here in London, I had to go to a special school. And all we did every single day is in nursery rhymes. I did actually learn to read and write until I moved to America when I was 10. And very quickly, even though I was in special education, they put me into mainstream schools and in mainstream classes. And the whole time that I was in America, because I had such a negative experience of disability growing up the first 10 years, I completely rejected disability and disabled people just because I, I was quite fearful of it. But then when I moved back to London in 2006, I, I completely embraced it and I'm so glad I did. You know, I met great people like you, I met great other incredible people, you know, like Liz Jackson and Alice Wong and so many other, Rosemary Frazier and lots of other different incredible disabled people around the world. And I think, you know, that's something that needs to change is, you know, this hierarchy that we have within the disabled community and we need to stand up and support each other against the world and society that really doesn't want us to be united and really doesn't want us to live or even succeed. Mm. And I, I don't really have time for that narrative anymore, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, so have you been having any experiences during this coronavirus pandemic that have changed something about your life or the ways that you interact with other people um, or access to resources? Well, resources are getting harder and harder to get in terms of PPE, personal protective equipment. That's really challenging for me to get personally for my carers and things. And uh, what's kind of changed is the kind of even more emphasis and the priority on my health in terms of that like, hygiene and how important it is for my health and things like, you know, making sure if I don't go out, it's good for my health. and so. And that's really hard. So in the last year or two, I'm kind of changing that anyway. I was just not going out as much as I used to just because of my deteriorating condition. And actually, just because I work from home some days doesn't make me less valuable or less worthy of anything. And that whole idea of being, you know, productive only if you're busy and on the hustle every day, I think that needs to change and we need to value people as people. And just because, for example, just because I'm laying down and talking to you, you know, over the internet doesn't make me less valuable or less productive. It means that I'm able to work in a way that works for me. And I think as society as and disabled people we need to recognize that actually what is the best way how you work and how you live and just support people to do that. Really. Yeah, for sure. So like, you know, before the pandemic, all sorts of work over the internet were severely devalued or it didn't count. And and in some cases it still does. Like some people are being forced to go to work now and told that they can't work remotely. Um, and I wonder if you think that that is going to change through the way that work has to be online now. Um, if, there, if the pandemic ends, um, will people as by default appreciate online work and remote work more, or will they have a different kind of perspective? What do you think is going to happen? I, I, I'm kind of an optimist, so I would hope that 
you know, people actually start to see the benefits for people, you know, to actually engage. So, for example, somebody like me who physically gets very tired to sit a long days in the wheelchair, which I can't do anyway. If I had the opportunity, for example, to live stream a conference and get paid to do that, I could talk anywhere in the world. So that would open up huge potential possibilities for me and other disabled people. But what I do think is, unfortunately, I don't think nothing, anything is going to change because seeing some things like, you know, people saying online and stuff, oh, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. Once things get back to normal, it'll be okay. But normality is what started this whole thing in the first place. People acting like, you know, not valuing everybody, not treating people like people, particularly in disability and design, I think. It's something that we don't recognize the importance of technology as a tool to really empower disabled people to live freely and independently. That that it's just really hard to explain mm-hmm. how much independence it gives you when we're so unindependent as it is and dependent on people and things that you know are not our fault. And so I think I really hope things do change where you know even and quite skeptical in terms of how people are reacting, you know, and I think we have to change that mind shift of even, as I said earlier, constantly working and constantly having to prove that we're being productive and things. I think that's part of the issue, even in this time of huge global crisis, people still want to write like 300 books in like a week and like do like come up with a great idea that no, 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 we need to rest, recover and recharge. You can't, you know, you can't always be like that. I think for disabled people in particular, I think this is a time for us to all unite together and actually, you know, say actually this is what we can offer the world and we need to be valued and respected as such. Um, You brought up technology and dependence and um, slowing down and not being so productive all the time. So are you um, are you finding ways that disabled people are using technology not to be productive, but to do other stuff in general or right now during this pandemic that are interesting? I don't know. I think that for me, I've been finding, I can only speak from my own lived experience. So the thing about me is, even though my muscles are like getting weaker as I get older, my brain is like 300 miles an hour. And so, so I always want to go, 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 do like 10 things at once. And technology has always been a huge part of my life. So I have quite a love-hate relationship with technology because I'm like, yes, it makes me in, independent, but then I like, even right now, I'm laying on a massive air which is a huge piece of technology. Even to go out, I have to get into a power wheelchair, which is, again, a piece of technology. So I can't disconnect of me by myself. Mm-hmm. And at night, I have a ventilator and things like that. So it's just that idea of like, actually disconnecting from technology is not really possible for me or many disabled people. What I do like to do using technology for my to my advantage. I like a lot of podcasts and audiobooks and, and things like uh Kindle as well, read a lot of ebooks and things. So that so I'm kind of trying to do that a bit more than I used to. I'm trying to like you know, use my creativity and my time in positive ways rather than using technology just to to hinder me and stuff. It's interesting what you said about how disconnecting from technology is also not an option. 
um, yeah. that even though um, technology has it enables important things or it's important for life um, some people have like the privilege of being able to disconnect from it and um, and also many people are characterized as excessively dependent and so disability culture has been pushing back against that and saying it's okay to be dependent on technology and Right now, I think a lot about all the people who suddenly are um, experiencing things like having migraines from being on the computer all day, like these things that for some of us are part of everyday life and yeah. ableist expectations of culture and stuff um, that were constantly available, that we're always like checking our email, et cetera. Um, and now that that is happening with so many people, um, there are are these tensions and frictions over what happens if you say no to using a certain yeah. kind of technology or you set a boundary that says and i think that's very that is such a great point is that for disabled people it is not possible for us to have like you know a digital detox or technology detox because it's almost a safety net it's a luxury if i are able to completely disconnect as i said for me if i want to go out into nature i have to get someone to get me in my wheelchair, my power wheelchair, and then get someone to drive me. And I can't really be completely by myself either. So again, how do I disconnect and create that headspace that I need? And so technology is a tool, I think it's a, also a, a safety net. I think, as you said, that for example, checking emails, I'm notorious for checking emails like 300 times a day, just not because I want to, because I think that has to do with two things. One, the sense of isolation that disability brings to all of us and also internalized ableism as well. So I think that has a lot to do with it in terms of, you know, how I feel about myself and how I feel about people feeling valued in the world. And learning to get better at that, I think that just takes takes time. I really appreciated when we were corresponding before this call. In your email signature, you actually have a section um, you know, after you have like your gender pronouns and disability pronouns, you have a section that says, you know, here's how long it's going to take me to respond to your email and here's why. And I thought it was such a good example of setting boundaries around technology and people's yeah. managing people's expectations yeah. of it. I think a lot of people could adopt that as a practice. Um, something that I was doing before the pandemic was with my personal email, I always had a vacation message on it that okay. said, I'm trying to decrease my use of email, so I'm, I'm not, I'm probably not going to respond. And people really appreciated that. And if they knew me personally, they got in touch in other ways if it was important. Yeah. And yeah. it really reduced the amount of interaction I had to have with email, yeah. which was um, triggering for me in a lot of ways. And so I really, I wanted to tell you how much I appreciated the uh, model okay. that you provided in your and email that, that was basically, I forgot where I saw it. I think it was through um, English, I believe. Mm. So uh, it was just something I was thinking about. Because for me, typing is so fatiguing. So I, I hate not responding to people. It's not that I don't want to, that physically I can't. It takes a longer, it's much easier for me because of my disability to talk than to type. So for me, I was like, actually, I need to let people know it's okay. You know, if I don't respond to you, I see you. Um, are there any other things that you want non-disabled people to know right now as we are 
uh, going through this pandemic about disability or anything else? Uh, I don't know how to start. That's a really great, great question. Uh, basically, I, to, I think one thing that I love, I love, I love is that my my great friend, uh, Rosemary Fraser, she is a disability rights activist for the last 25 years in the UK. She's from Northern Ireland and she's hilarious. And she does a lot of disability rights campaigning in the UK. She was one of the people that she fought for disability legislation here in the UK in the 90s, protesting and all kinds of awesome stuff. And she has a great quote that I love, that I love. She said, don't be a disability pimp. And I love that because it kind of says, you know, you don't be a disability pimp. I think that kind of says everything, you know, for non-disabled people. You know, don't use us, don't, you know, just hire us, engage with us. And just treat us like people. I think to me that's the most important thing. I don't expect us you know, to teach you every single thing. You know, we're not here to inspire you. We're not here to show you everything or make you feel better about your life. We're just trying to, you know, survive. We don't want to survive, we want to thrive. And so, so it's just trying to change those narratives for ourselves. And this, you know, I think non-disabled people just need to know how to be much better authentic allies and give us the space to tell our own stories and to be our own people in whatever capacity that is and however we want to live, how you want to be, I think it's so important for all of us. And particularly for disabled community, I think, you know, don't expect us, you know, to tell you everything about this reason. I get asked all the time about, like, can you tell me about, like, the blind people or deaf people? I said, no, I have no lived experience with that. If you want to, I can connect you to them great people so I think you know I think we're not if you're in an organization I think it's important for us not to be the sole representation of 1.3 billion people across the world with different types of disability I think you know anybody you wouldn't go go up to them and ask or tell you about your entire race or your gender it just wouldn't work like that so I think disability unfortunately is still one of those things it's very complex and it's not a good thing or a bad thing, but it just, we need to just start treating people as people and, you know, respecting them really. Well, thank you so much, Suleiman. It was really awesome to talk to you um, and to learn more about your perspective. You've been listening to Contra, a podcast about disability, design justice, and the life world. Contra is a production of the Critical Design Lab. Learn more about our projects at mapping-access.com and be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. The Contra Podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international 3.0 license. That means you can remix, repost, or recycle any of the content as long as you cite the original source, aren't making money, you don't change the credits, and you share it under the same license.